Good morning. I've just been to Buckingham Palace and accepted His Majesty the King's invitation to form a government in his name. It is only right to explain why I'm standing here as your new Prime Minister. Right now, our country is facing a profound economic crisis. The aftermath of COVID still lingers. Putin's war the UK has another new Prime Minister. After weeks of political drama, a fresh team is now getting to work with running the country. But what's life really like for them inside Downing Street? What challenges will they face? And how much do they really care about what business leaders think? You're listening to Business Studies with me, Graham Ruddick, a podcast that takes a second look at business stories from the past. In this episode, we are going inside Downing Street to try to understand what the new government faces. We speak to Jimmy McLaughlin, a special advisor to Theresa May on business, entrepreneurship and technology. We'll ask him what it's really like to work in 10 Downing Street and how the government approaches businesses. question that many people ask me when I was there, how did you end up here? I mean, one of the ways it came about was that I'd been at the Institute of Directors, so had been sort of championing the case there for, for small business and entrepreneurship, running their Young Entrepreneurs Network there. So that was my sort of immediate thing that I did before number 10 and was actually going to go off and sort of pursue the entrepreneurial journey with a course at Stanford University, which I did post number 10. But Brexit happened and I basically got a phone call from Fiona Hill and Nick Timothy, who I'd known from doing sort of volunteering in the party previously. And they said, you know, look, would you be interested in helping out on the leadership campaign initially? And, you know, let's see where we were. And it was a very truncated leadership campaign, which bear in mind where we're recording this in mid-October 2022. There may well be another one of those soon. But it was, um, yeah, it was a sort of fascinating kind of experience doing that and kind of, you know, getting the role as well. Um, it's quite difficult, really, because... Prime Ministers have to build a team of sort of, you know, 30 special advisors. And when they've been cabinet ministers before, you know, they, they tend to only have four or five appointees. So there is a an element of it kind of being like a startup scale up uh, when a new prime minister comes in because they have to find you know, people that they know and trust and, and have got some experience in kind of doing the doing the roles. So that was where I was kind of plucked from what I was doing at the um, Institute of Directors. Did you consider yourself to be politically aligned with with Theresa May? Um, in the sense of, you know, she was conservative. I'm a conservative. You know, previously I'd worked for Boris Johnson on his mayoral campaign in 2008, and I agreed with a lot of what she'd been saying in the leadership campaign and so on. You know, that for me is always a, a fundamental. Is like, you know, supporting conservative. Cabinet ministers is always something that I've, I've done. So I, I don't get kind of too wrapped up generally in ideology and so on. I mean, the Times wrote a interesting piece on me when I was kind of appointed in one of these profile pieces. And there was a quote from Simon Walker, who was my boss at the Institute of Directors at the time. And he sort of said, you know, he's not sort of an ideological zealot. Um, and he just sort of believes in, you know, 
broadly deregulating where you can and so on. And I thought that was quite a good sort of description and summary. And as always, perhaps people can sum you up better than you can yourself at times. We'll come on to sort of the sort of nuts and bolts and the personalities, etc. But what was it like? Could you just describe, it was obviously politically quite a dramatic time. Can you just describe sort of what it was like to actually work in Downing Street and that environment? Yeah, it, it was a dramatic time and it all happened very quickly as well. I mean, you know, it was that Monday morning that, you know, Andrew Ledson pulled out and, you know, Theresa May was installed on the Wednesday afternoon. I mean, it is one of the ways that British politics work is that that turnaround is incredibly quick. So it was that type of thing happens incredibly quickly and you're sort of standing behind the, the black door all of a sudden and you think, you know, gosh, this, this will be a moment to kind of tell the grandkids about welcoming the second female prime minister into Downing Street, you know, because you don't know at that point whether you're going to be working there or not. You know, it was all encompassing. I mean, it, this is the the challenge that number 10 special advisors have is that it's it's a bit like trying to drink from a fire hose you know you get so much information you know your email inbox is flooded on the announcement of your appointment from various lobbyists media etc and so it is just incredibly difficult to kind of get to you know it does take a number of months to sort of get an understanding of the land, particularly when it's been such an unexpected kind of turnaround of events. You know, you sort of looked at mid-June and it looked like David Cameron was going to be in power for at least another three or four years. And then, you know, literally in a month, it's it's all changed. So it is rapid, these changes of power. And you're just trying to cover as much ground as possible to understand as, as much as possible. Because actually the number 10 team is quite a small team 25 to sort of 30 special advisors at the beginning but even then the whole kind of building itself is only 200 people well compared to most other sort of government departments that's you know it, it is very small actually so it's quite hard in terms of that beginning bit to sort of understand the you know where you've got to go to get information even somebody like me who'd been around government and kind of steeped in it it's still hard to nowhere to go even like very simply there is no ground plan of the building for security reasons so when you arrive you are you know one of the instructions that you're given is just to sort of spend time wandering around the building aimlessly to try and find people and and where things are it's all because it's a sort of very old building it's all listed and it's all old servant quarters as well so it's about as far away as you can get from kind of like a google open plan style office in terms of that there's quite a challenge actually in in that regard of just the very nuts and bolts of getting getting yourself around how close do you feel to the action how how much would you see Theresa may nick timothy and fiona hill on a daily basis we were lucky because you know lucky or yeah we our office where we were was just a few down so we were on the ground floor and the ground floor was kind of where you wanted to be with that and a lot of it you know I sort of when coming in and out of the building I'd have to walk past the private office and so on so you'd see Fiona Hill and Nick Timothy quite regularly there and and the PM as as well and sometimes you know you'd be in the 8 30 meetings and the 4 p.m meetings that would kind of be at the 
the kind of key focal points of the day i wouldn't always be in those depending on what what was kind of in the agenda on any given day you'd obviously have a core team in those yeah it would it would vary in in that sense and a lot of it was you know i mean it's a bit of a cliche about the west wing right like the west wing is entirely filmed like in scenes walking around corridors and so on but it was was a lot of information gleaned in the in corridors and i actually thought that was yeah, it would be very interesting to know about people that were there in COVID times because um, obviously you didn't you didn't have a lot of that. And what was it? What was your role like? Could you just explain what it involved on a day to day basis and what the sort of short, medium, and long term ambitions were? Short term was trying to kind of act as an early warning system of things that could go wrong. And actually, one of the things like would be scanning the business pages and seeing what was going because often actually there'd be stuff in the business pages that you'd see and think this is going to blow up to be a bigger issue um in the in the coming weeks and this is going to make the, the front pages so there's that sort of semi-public stuff that would be there and then medium term there was quite a lot of the job that people didn't really see and understand was kind of the international investors so on and going back to my point of there not being many people in number 10 yeah the prime minister would love to meet people that were thinking of investing several hundred million or or even billions of pounds in the uk economy but wouldn't necessarily have the time to do that particularly during the kind of maelstrom that we were operating in, in in terms of what was going on with brexit so a big part of that was actually you know People asked which department did I deal with most, and obviously there's business and treasury, but DIT was a was a huge one, particularly at that time as well. There was a lot that we kind of reassurance that we had to give to people, particularly in the first year of Theresa May's leadership. Like there wasn't that much that could be said publicly about what we were trying to do with with Brexit. So there was a lot of kind of assurance and kind of bringing people into the building and sort of talking about our future you know, medium and, and long-term plans with that. And, you know, the, the long-term stuff that I was focused on was kind of working with entrepreneurs about, you know, how we could make the ingredients as strong as possible for it. You know, David Cameron and George Osborne had really kick-started a kind of startup revolution in 2010 with Startup Britain campaign and so on. And, and so by the time that you know, we were there in 2016, you know, lots of that was there, but it was like, how do you take it to the next level? How do you do more with scale-ups? Um, and how do you unearth some of these, you know, great companies that are around the UK that perhaps don't sort of engage with the government? You know, partly because they don't need to, they're not necessarily directly regulated. So that was a big focus of, of my job, was, was trying to find these companies and how can we help them? How can we engage with them, etc. So, yeah, one of the classics that was Jim Shark and Ben Francis, for example, which was kind of an incredible story in Birmingham. But, you know, essentially as a fitness wear brand, didn't really have anything to do with the government, but was a great story that we should be doing our bit to highlight. How much did business leaders want to see the Prime Minister? How much did the Prime Minister want to see business leaders? That a uh, good, uh, good, good double question. Um, so business leaders were quite keen to sort of see the prime minister. There's no doubt about that. And you know, she always had a kind of appreciation for these are the people that you know create the jobs, pay the taxes, and so on. So it was there was always keenness to try and do it. It's just one of these things that is perhaps underappreciated. I think about kind of prime minister's week is just the amount of hours that are taken up already before you start with things 
you know, because you've got things like PMQs and you've got the prep for PMQs, you've got the audience with the Queen, uh, you've got the cabinet meeting. So it was like one of these things that we would try and sort of remember we were looking at one point of like, you know, and, and how do you make these experiences like as, as good as possible? Like one of the things that we were looking at was breakfast meetings and so on. But actually, it's quite difficult to do stuff on a Monday morning when it comes to breakfast meetings and so on. Tuesday morning, you've got cabinet, so you can't do it then. Wednesday morning, you've got PMQs, so it's not really ideal because the Prime Minister is quite focused on that. So that sort of only you know, gives you a Thursday, and actually there was often quite big sort of trips away and so on in terms of Thursdays and Fridays. There's quite a challenge, actually. You think, oh, I'll tell you what, we'll put on this sort of series of breakfast. don't need to be long, but they can be quite sort of informative and so on. So it was a, it was a challenge for how you did that in terms of just where do you find the time for these things when you did have the meetings what were they like how what sort of things would be discussed and how much would they help both parties so i think we got much better at it as as time went on inevitably with these things and i mean we we began at the beginning by having dinners and the spouses were invited along to these dinners as well which was quite a kind of interesting experience again they were quite important early on sort of setting the tone of how the the prime minister wanted to engage and so on and i do remember some of the business leaders getting quite antsy throughout some of it because of course you have to leave your phone downstairs in Downing Street so you know some of these FTSE chief execs I don't think have been unattached from their phone for three hours probably ever so it was uh, they would often get quite fidgety but overall I think it was really important to get an understanding of what both sides were trying to achieve with it because in the UK it's seven out of every eight jobs are you know in the private sector you know it, it is a massive part of our economy that needs to be understood we got better at it over time in terms of we made things a bit more kind of like direct so there was a at the beginning there was a sort of process of trying to you know for her to meet as many people as as possible because you know she hadn't come from an economic portfolio background before in terms of the she'd been home secretary for six years so it doesn't have a lot of touch points with business leaders so I was trying to get as many people through so they could meet and and discuss with things but then by the end we were helped um William Verica who's now the chairman of Santander kind of came in for the last year as well and kind of really bolstered some of those links with the city and also we got much more specific about it so we actually created five business councils around sectors or groups of sectors and actually proposed much more specific challenges around okay well what what do you really want because trying to keep focus in these things would be the 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 big challenge because every prime minister appoints a business council of some description and there's always a challenge in terms of like well how do you keep that fresh so that you just don't turn it into kind of a, a, a lobbying session of the same 15 people coming in each time so there are lots of challenges with when you try and do these things but you know usually it was they were positive meetings where lots of ideas were exchanged and people got greater clarity of what they were of what the other side was trying to do you spoke about being an early warning system have you got examples of of where that proved to be the case or where business leaders started a discussion or brought up issues where things started happening quite quickly after that yeah so i mean one of the classic ones would probably be 
Carillion, where it was sort of you know, being talked about in the business press. And you just thought, this is so many jobs. This is going to cause such a big problem. We, we, you know, we need to get a kind of plan in place for this. And the civil service were pretty good at that kind of thing, actually, in terms of like directing them. But it was just sort of, I guess, being that political early warning system of like, this is going to be a problem i remember at the start of this year actually sort of tweeting that you know richard fletcher at the time just talking about the kind of levels of profit that the oil companies have been making and so on and i was just like again my sort of like you know it, it doesn't leave you i was just like that is going to become a big political problem later this year and so that was trying to sort of that's the sort of semi-public stuff that's already out there and then it was the other side of things that was quite important with Brexit and so on was speaking to the, the supermarket retailers were a classic one of, you know, trying to find out what was happening with food inflation and, and what were they seeing? Because, you know, these guys have now got stuff almost in real time, like an hourly basis of these things. And that was really important to kind of try and feed that into the prime minister in terms of the information that she was receiving about what was happening. And what were, what were business leaders like in meetings with the prime minister? I remember one of them saying to me, "Right, don't underestimate the the sort of respect that business leaders have for the prime minister." Yeah, I think that was that was often true. Um, I remember at one of these dinners actually thinking there was one particular business leader who was who was just I was sitting next to, and I was sort of getting it like both barrels on something, and I remember the. Prime Minister then broke up for the conversation and I was sitting there thinking, oh, please just don't turn to the individual next to me first. And that's exactly what she did. And he was and he was fine. It was like, you know, I was sort of, you know, the um the the valve for some of this stuff of where I'd have to kind of take the the barrels and and the complaining, both on a political side as well as a um as well as a business side for it. So I think that would be one of the overall sort of takeaways of, of that was that there was a lot of respect for for the office and what what she was trying to do. How important was at that stage did the government consider having a relationship with business? And also how important did it consider sort of learning from that and developing that relationship? So I think it's, it's paramount of importance, right, the, the relationship between government and business. That being said, I don't think it's ever a very straightforward one. I think both sides sometimes underappreciate how much they need the other side to operate on. So I think that is one of the the big challenges that we we have. Because there was a lot when I was there sort of during those Brexit years of, you know, it was also great under David Cameron and George Osborne. And, you know, I would lean on those advisors quite a bit in terms of advice and understanding you know, various things it's useful to have people that have been in the same situation and they would send me regular articles through sort of pointing out when business leaders were not being very complimentary about what they were doing either so i think there's a, a useful kind of um you know it's, it's worth remembering that that it's, it's not always a straightforward relationship and you know there are always challenges within it what's your take on what's happened since you left office because obviously under boris johnson well, Boris Johnson obviously famously said F business. And, the, and there was very little effort, I think it's fair to say, to engage or listen with business. What was your take on that looking from afar, knowing how it had been done when you were in office? Yeah, I mean, there's a, a real challenge with that in terms of, you know, you look at what gets done next because you think 
you understand how people want to bring come in and bring their own stamp on things but in the same same way that david cameron's lot probably looked at some of the things that we did at the outset it was like you know that that is going to be a mistake i think actually boris was a very sort of pro-business mayor and so on i think the the quotes that he was sort of like that have been attributed to him as well there's been lots of sort of speculation about whether he was kind of referring to groups that represent business rather than business directly and so on but i mean it did encapsulate sort of generally what the business world kind of felt in brexit was that it was a big sort of shift change in, in the dynamics of the relationship between business and government and i think pre-brexit there was sort of this you know, it, it did feel like business and government were in the same boat. And I include this in terms of the new Labour years as well, in terms of, you know, target of 2.5% GDP growth, to use a phrase that's being banded around at the moment. The government and business were almost in lockstep to try and find the best way to get that. And there was, you know, inevitably with Brexit, you know, things did change in that sense. You know, watching what Boris's team did I, you know, I think on the whole, it was, you know, it was pretty good. I mean, it was, it obviously ended up being changed so much by coronavirus because such a big part of the role of number 10 is that kind of convening and spotlighting power. And, and obviously, so much of that was sort of taken away by coronavirus. So, you know, they had a crazy first few, three months because I stayed and did the transition period for a bit because I think, you know, one of the problems with our system is that the whole team around the prime minister changes and you know that's not always good so i i did do a bit of the transition period to sort of pass on some of that knowledge that worked quite well but we were starting a family but then you know pretty much coronavirus hit just after the general election so they had all that and then they got the sort of brexit done by the end of january and then post that yeah one of the challenges that that whole era had was that it wasn't easy to get people together in a room to share some of these ideas because one of the one of the interesting things that i would like would say from the business side of things was i was often quite surprised how often the business leaders in the room didn't actually know each other you sort of would assume that they they would and they would have met at things but actually there was there was quite a lot uh you know even when you were sort of pulling big FTSE representatives together where they wouldn't have actually met in that kind of setting and so on and that that was always something that that slightly struck me i guess you know in politics people sort of grow up through the ranks together so what, much more what were you, what was the international experience you got because i know you i know you went on trips abroad you were promoting the uk abroad what, what sort of situations did that put you in and how much did you get a sense abroad of a desire to invest in UK PLC and how much did you have to really promote that and, and sell it to, to international investors? Yeah, it was a big part of it, of, of the role. There was definitely quite a lot of sort of curiosity about Brexit and why you know, we, we'd done it. And they people were surprised by it and um, there's no doubt about that but one of the things that i really was struck going around the world was just how many deep ties that we do have with the rest of the world and that you know the the, the kind of cultures are, f- are far more embedded than you kind of realize really with the only exception being south america where we just you know didn't really have any sort of long-lasting links but pretty much everywhere else we did and yeah that did mean that yeah we were always kind of welcomed and and so on and actually there was a lot about places that hadn't appreciated maybe how close we were japan was an interesting one island economy and similar sort of profile of economy as well that hadn't quite appreciated before that um so there was often like sort of quite willingness on people 
but people were quite keen to kind of understand more about Brexit. I think that was yeah one of the one of the key things, particularly when the Trump stuff had happened, because they kind of got lumped in with the same thing. And there was you know I, I think they they were different, but there were definitely some common causes in kind of what was happening there. Well, what about the lobby groups? Because we we often talk about the CBI, British Chambers of Commerce, Institute of Directors as being absolutely central to the relationship between government and business and that they're very important organisations because they're the ones that are the link and they're the ones that will pass on the message to the government about where and how people are struggling. Is that the case? Do the, these organisations have influence or has it waned? Um, I mean, they do have influence. I think it's so porous now in terms of the amount of communications that is possible right we like even with the invention of email and so on it's so much easier to talk to so many people i mean we often think about this typically in sort of journalistic ways that you know a journalist would only sort of previously have 15 or 20 sources i mean you, know, you watch the news at 10 and sort of the political editor reads all these quotes out he's got from different mps at the moment right so i think there's something there about like how the communication has become just so much more plural means that they, they aren't kind of like the central bodies of, of what they were in terms of you know being the voice they are definitely a voice but I'm not sure they're the voice of of business anymore I think it's it's important for them to have people that have run businesses as part of them because I think a, a lot of these lobby groups can sometimes be full of government former government people, former communications people, and not so much people that have actually run businesses. And I think that is a bit of a, a challenge for them. I mean, to be fair, in the last week, yeah, Brian McBride has sort of become the president of the CBI and Martha Blaine Fox as well at the British Chambers. So I think that they are very interesting kind of appointments, actually, because they, they also, to my world, they're very entrepreneurial in, in what they've done as well. So I think that would be interesting to see how it goes forward. But I do think there's a case of, you know, these groups are partly there to make the case to government for business, but they're also there to make the case to the rest of the country. And I think that is something that isn't perhaps done as much you know, they have become very focused on their relations with government and on lobbying efforts. But actually, there's a broader case to be made for the positivity of business, particularly when I was there, given that Jeremy Corbyn was in opposition. You know, it was, we, we do need to remind people about the benefits of capitalism and private enterprise in all of this, because the Labour parties, that Labour Party certainly weren't going to do it. Did you, as a Conservative government, care about what they thought? We did care about what they thought but I think it's a challenge about you know there, there was so much sort of pressure that was being put on them from the kind of Brexit angle that it was difficult because everything was getting put through the prism of Brexit and that was a real challenge and so often of these meetings yeah, the sort of 45 minute meetings, 40 minutes will be taken up by Brexit, the, the challenges and so on. And so little of it was about the kind of like positivity and going back to that long term thing that I used to do. Well, tell me about the most exciting member you've come across or tell me about a story you've got from the region. You know, it felt like we were sort of all very kind of focused on whatever the next meaningful vote was, etc. And the broader element of business and what business stood for didn't perhaps get as covered as much 
obviously when you're in government you met a lot of business leaders subsequently on the jimmy's jobs of the future podcast you've interviewed a lot of entrepreneurs doing some very exciting startups what quality would you say stands out among the business leaders and entrepreneurs that you've spoken to so i think communication and empathy are probably two of the ones that really stand out and a sort of driving to where the north star is as well about things i think particularly with entrepreneurs you can't be sure of where you're going necessarily and things change and pivots and u-turns and various things like this and i think one of the ways i like to think about one day entrepreneurship is is it's like exploring it's like the explorers of years gone by exploring new lands and so on and, and a lot of that can be you know sort of famous sort of Shackleton kind of advert of you know join me for not much money high risk all these types of things you know I think that's quite an interesting narrative but I think those that have the kind of communication and the empathy particularly actually in a post-covid world even even more so of, of understanding the challenges that teams have is quite important and then that overall north star do you mean empathy to to staff or do you mean empathy to to customers or and the sort of broader UK population to staff i think is more than anything is that understanding of what people want and perhaps it's as i've got a bit older as well is that you know your priorities and and things change and, and leaders that can understand that in their staff that you know even the best ones priorities and things change at different points and, and having an understanding of that is um is really quite central You've been listening to Business Studies with me, Graham Ruddick. Our producer is Anushka Tate. If you want to listen to bonus content from this episode and get business news and analysis throughout the week, please sign up to our sister publication, the Off to Lunch newsletter on Substack. You can sign up at offtolunch.substack.com.